Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm back. Uh, this is episode four. Today, I'm going to be telling you some fun and funny stories from my life. Uh, so these are some of the funniest things that I think have ever happened to me. I've got lots of hysterical stories, but uh, this is going to be an NSFW episode. This is the kind of stuff that I started a podcast for because I can't talk about it on TikTok or go on live and talk about it. I'm going to be telling you about when I got circumcised in high school, another uh, genital surgery I had to do in 8th grade. I'm going to tell you about this time I went to a bathroom in a car when I was like 8 years old. Uh, I'll tell you a story about how I got lost in Paris. That one's not so NSFW. And then I'll tell you how I got my first and only real tattoo as of yet uh, in college on my ass when I was drunk with my friends. It was all great stuff. I'll probably tell you some more stories, but before I get into all that, I'm going to tell you a quick little life update. I had to get a new job. Um, I'm starting a new job as a chemist, which is awesome. It's what I wanted when I graduated college. Uh, I've not been able to do that. I've had to work a bunch of weird, odd jobs. That the first two were shitty. The third one that I'm just now leaving for this chemist job was actually really good. But uh, the reason I have to leave this third job is because there's just no work to be done out here. I'm an asbestos inspector and, uh, you know, otherwise known as an industrial hygienist or a mobile lab technician by the uh, actual technical job title. But what that means is basically I inspect building materials at construction or demolition sites to make sure that there's no asbestos or mold in them or in the air. That would have a lot of business in Oklahoma if Oklahoma companies actually cared about following the law. The reason that I have to leave my job is because there's been no work. And my company, my boss has been great. You know, he's been awesome. And I've been very, you know, hardworking and diligent and dedicated for him. Uh, I sat around and I've waited for like seven months pretty much for work to pick up and it never picked up. I was paid salary, so I was getting paid while I sat on my ass the whole time. And you know, my boss, he said that I'm a hard worker and I've got a good work ethic. And he told me that whenever he's closing down our Oklahoma sector of our company that he would offer to move me out to Minnesota. But you know, he's done me so well and I've got so much respect for him that I basically told him like, look, I would love to do that. But even if I could afford the moving costs, uh, I would have to leave in August anyway because I got a full-ride scholarship to get a master's degree in the exact field that I've always wanted to study from a very good university. So I have to do that. I'm going out there in fall. And he said, okay, I understand. Um, uh, you've always got me as a reference, and if anything ever falls through, you know, you're immediately welcome back at the company. So that's good. I've always got this job that I can fall back on no matter what, if things go south. Uh, that's the value of hard work, folks, by the way. Um, I I come from poverty, and I have worked my way up to get a degree in biology and to have a good resume and a good work reputation. I always put in my two weeks. If I ever left a company and I would always week, work those two weeks, uh, even if the toxic work environment was so shitty that it had a negative effect on my mental health. You know... The way you look on paper goes a very long way. That being said, I also had a lot of privilege as a straight, white, heterosexual male, or a cis, white, cis-het, white male. So, I, can, I, can, I, I can't speak for people that are bogged down with all sorts of intersectional traits that disenfranchise them. Moving on from all that. Uh, the reason why he has to shut down this sector of our company in Oklahoma is there's no work. And the reason why there's no work is because people out here that are responsible for the demolition or construction of new properties or of the maintenance of different industrial sites simply don't care about following asbestos regulations. Oklahomans, Oklahoma companies just don't give a shit. They don't fucking care. Uh, back in May... Whenever my boss saw that there are no asbestos inspection companies out here in Oklahoma, he thought that it was a great opportunity to dive in and get his stake in the job market out here. What he didn't realize is the reason why there's no work out here is because there's no business for out here because 
nobody gives a fuck. No, none of these people out here that need, that are legally required to use our services, care to use our services. They don't want to spend the extra money. They'd rather pocket it for themselves. <coughs> so, um, like I said, he, he said that I can come out there and I can't do it since I'm going to graduate school. My buddy, a uh, month ago, fortunately told me that they need another chemist and I've got all the requirements for it and he can vouch for me and fortunately it actually pays more than what I'm making right now I think it pays 10,000 more per year so it's not salary however which is an upside and a downside the downside I have to work well you know whatever I have to actually work I'm so used to putting in zero hours per week and getting paid for it of course I would do work anytime there was work to be done I was quick to do it I was on top of it, but it's nice having the seven-month vacation. I feel like it's—I feel like the seven months of just laying around getting paid for it was a good balance for my karma because I've been kind of gone—I've gone through a lot of shit in the last seven years. Uh, but on the upside, I have overtime. So if I—if I—if I were to go over 40 hours a week, I'd be getting paid. Oh God a lot more money based on you know the nature of my pay anyway so that's all that i've i've come full circle we're here now um it feels good i'm excited i started my graduate program uh if i do have to leave this company in august which fingers crossed i probably don't i don't know i can probably stay online uh if i did have to leave then i could use the uh, experience that I get from this semester learning Python to work from home and be some kind of computer programmer whenever I go off to college, whenever I go off to graduate school. So uh, let's get started. Yeah, I've got some funny stories. I told you guys I would start with my circumcision story. I got circumcised when I was 16. Um, the reason I got circumcised was because... I, I, I mean, I felt self-conscious about it. Um, when I was 13, I had a buddy of mine, and we, we became like brothers. And I don't know if a whole lot, a lot, a lot of you guys know a whole lot about male friendships, but guys are just as close and as girly as girls are. Whenever we're like really close and we know each other, we talk about our feelings, we don't care if we're naked around each other, all that type of shit, right? That's just how friends are. That's how people are. Um... We uh, compared dick sizes one day when we were 13 years old, and he 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 saw mine, and he thought it looked funny. He kind of laughed at first. We were just kids, but he kind of laughed at first because there was like a little ring of purple skin between my head and my shaft, and that was the inside of my foreskin. Turns out, I had what's called a half-circumcision. Well, that's not what it's officially called. I don't know what it's officially called, but I had a half-circumcision. When I was a kid, uh, my dad didn't want me to be circumcised, and my mom did. I think my dad was in the right. And this is that gets into a whole different story, because I lived with my mom, my dad left, and now I'm starting to think that my mom drove him away, because she's a very demanding person. But... My dad didn't want me to be circumcised. He said uh, he wants it to be my choice, and he doesn't want to hurt me. He doesn't want to take away those 20,000 nerve endings. He wants me to be able to experience the full slew. My mom, on the other hand, said, no, 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 women are going to appreciate it. It looks nicer. It looks cleaner. It looks smoother. It doesn't get infected as much. It doesn't stink. There's no dick cheese. Uh Obviously, she didn't say anything about the stink. She was all about the making sure I don't have the dick cheese. She said those words specifically. John, you better clean your dick cheese. <laughs> if I smell dick cheese at the dinner table, it's your ass. No, no, no. No, no, no. She spanked me, but never because of my dick cheese. Only because of my ass cheese. <laughs> so, basically, the doctor tried to... Um, the doctor tried to compensate. The doctor gave me a half-circumcision. The kind of circumcision that sheaths your dickhead whenever it's flaccid, and then exposes it when it's erect. And that, 
That means that, like, the little bit of foreskin that covers your dickhead whenever your dick is flaccid pulls back and stretches down your shaft whenever you get hard. And what that looks like uh, when you're hard, it looks like there is a ring of purple skin between normal shaft skin and your dickhead skin. It looked very strange. It looked like... I don't know, like, you know how uh, when somebody is sleep-deprived, they'll get, like, rings around their eyes? Um, they'll have the Pete Davidson eye effect, the butthole eyes, as it's called? Yeah, it looks like that, but for your dickhead. Like, imagine that your your dick head is an eyeball, and then your... Whatever the area of un, of circumcised skin behind it is, is the ring around your eyes, and then the rest of your shaft skin is your face skin. Well, my dick... If it were if it were that, it looked like it was sleep deprived. It looked like I had butthole eyes on my penis. Anyway, yeah, I was 16. Uh, at three years later, I had just been so insecure about it at that point. You know, you know, my dick shaft circum uncircumcised slash circumcised skin would get sweaty and stink, and I was just like done with it. So one day I went to my mom and I was like, Mom. Um, I want to get circumcised. And she was like, YES! Suck it, Dave! No, not really. But basically, that's how it felt. Um, she was like, fuck yeah, finally. Alright, I'll book you the appointment. And I got, I got circumcised that weekend. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'm okay with it. I guess I, I don't regret it. It's what I wanted. But of course, I was a 16-year-old kid. So I don't really know... If, if it was, like, the best thing for me, but I'm here now, and it doesn't, it's clean, it looks smooth, I guess I'm happy with it, it's not any smaller, so that's nice. I asked my doctor, I was like, hey, what if it gets smaller from this, and he's like, it's not gonna get smaller. He said, it makes sense if you think that, because less skin means the meat's packed in tighter, so it's gonna curve more, maybe, you'd think. It doesn't. Uh, if it gets too tight, or if there's too much pressure on it, your body automatically just puts more skin down there in the pelvic region to help elastize it. So, you know, your penis size is going to be the size no matter what, no matter what skin there is, I guess, in case, unless of extreme cases. So moving on from that, uh, yeah, it was fine. Every time we compared dicks again after that, he was like, nice. Nice cock, buddy. <laughs> puts his arm around me while we're standing there erect. <laughs> like, hey, man, puts his finger on my chest. You got a great cock now, bud. You don't have that weird, you don't have that weird purple dick skin anymore that made you look like an alien. Good job. You did the right thing. I don't know how much my mom went in debt to get the rest of that circumcision done, but, you know, whatever. Uh, so that's that story. Then, I guess, I said that I had another genital surgery. This actually happened before. So I was uh, 14 when I had my first genital surgery. This is a year, so a year after my friend and I compared dick sizes, and I discovered that I'm, like, half circumcised, I started to get, and but, like, two years, uh, so a year after we compared dick sizes, and then two years before I got circumcised, eighth grade, you know, we're in the interlude period of my penis awareness phase, you know, I'm coming into cock consciousness, uh, just being so aware of my dick. I'm like, oh god, it looks weird, it's sweaty, it smells funny, it's got dick cheese, fuck, it's small, oh no, why does it have hair, why do I have so much hair? By the way, yeah, I had a full bush when I was 13 years old, I had a huge ass bush. Um, I, uh, I had a, I had a varicose vein in my left testicle when I was in 8th grade. For those of you that don't know, a varicose vein um, is whenever a part of your vein, some vein, um, or vacuole, no, no, not a vacuole, uh, some vein gets twisted, and then there's just a lot of pressure on the ext like on a distant portion of the vein because of that, because there's like you know, a blood, like, s some small, like, obstruction in the blood flow. You see it in older people, like, in their legs, you'll see those blue veins in their knees, their calves or something. Um, I think it comes from stress, mostly. The vein will get twisted, or it comes from sitting down too much, not being active enough. 
it comes i think it mostly comes from like a sedentary lifestyle because you know if you, as you get your blood pumping as you get get the blood going through all your veins uh it's going to you know have enough force on the inside enough turbulence on the inside to unwind whatever twisting happens so essentially i had a varicose vein and it made my left testicle look like there was this little ball with a bunch of worms around it, right? Uh, it's essentially, you can think of it as an intense case of blue balls. You can think of it as like, like blue balls to the max. To the max, baby. I had maxed out blue balls. Yeah, if my blue balls had a D&D &D character score, it'd be 20 out of 20, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I rolled a 20, uh, I rolled a D20 on blue balls when I was 14 years old. Uh, I actually did, by the way. God. Ugh. Fun story. I think the reason for that could be because there was a girl that wanted to suck my dick at the end of 8th grade. Oh, wait, no, 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 that, that actually happened after I had this surgery. Never mind. Well, essentially, I blew it. Um... And, uh, yeah, there were, I, I just had an intense case of blue balls. Uh, so basically up at my pubes, at my pubes, where the veins that descend down into the testicles go, there was some sort of obstruction, like <clears throat> there were like some of the veins had gotten constricted up there and, uh, it's like testicular torsion, but it wasn't down in my testicle. My testicle didn't spin around on itself. The veins descending down to my testicle had, had kind of coiled in on themselves up above the testicle, behind the pubic region. So I had to, uh, I went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, yep, you got a varicose vein. Uh, we're going to have to remove some veins from your left nut, buddy. And that sounded scary, but, but... It wasn't that bad because he was like, yeah, it's fine. You got plenty of veins. We're only going to take out like a small portion of them to take care of this situation. <clears throat> I'm so glad that you came to us immediately. You know, normally a teenager is worried about this thing, but you're such an awesome, fearless, confident young kid that you're going to just expose your most sensitive sides of yourself to the world about anything, huh? Yeah, anything, anything for to make sure that your health is well tied off. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the exact thing that my, my doctor said to me. Then he put his arm around me, my balls are out, and he touched my chest, and he said, you got balls of steel, kid. Nice balls. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, baby. So, I, um, I just got the procedure again like that weekend and uh it was easy you know there's a tiny little like one inch long scar along my pubes so like it looks like i've got a scar in my pubes you know my pubic hair is just you know it's the bush that i keep trimmed down but then there's one like little bald scar there above my left nut uh, my left nut it's uh, as happy as can be it looks normal I have no issues, like, sexually after any of that, and it's good that I got it taken care of whenever I did, because had I not, not only would I have, would I have had to get that entire testicle removed, but I could have been crippled by the time I was 19. Again, I was 14 when this happened. I think it actually came from, like, sitting down all the time. I think it was an intense form of testicular torsion. I call it, like, blue balls to the max, maxed out blue balls stats, uh, but... You know, it is what it is. So that's that story. Um, this reminds me of the first time I saw my dad's cock. I was just a young boy. I don't know if I saw it. I don't know if I actually saw this. Or if it was a dream. My mom denies it vehemently. So I think it was a dream. But I think it's crazy that I dreamt about my dad's dick being huge. Now, it's possible I could have seen my dad's dick when I was younger and then internalized it and then manifested it in a dream somewhere. But what happened in this dream, I, w I was, you know, in the house that I grew up in. My mom and dad are there. And I, I must have been two years old. I must have been young. I was young, right? And my mom's in the bathtub. I go down to the master ba bedroom, the master bathroom. My mom's in the bathtub and my dad is outside of the bathtub naked. And I look up. My dad's naked, and I see my dad's cock, and it's just fucking gigantic, right? It's enormous. 
it was, I looked down at my tiny little pecker, my tiny little boy pecker, two-year-old boy penis, and I'm like, oh my god, I'll never have anything that big. Why is mine so small? So, you could say that I developed penis envy at a very young age, and that's probably why I'm, why I'm so sexually oriented, as you could say. Uh, just in general, just oriented towards sexuality, just in general. I'm a very sexual person, um... <laughs> anyway, and then he started peeing in the bathtub. This is why I think it's a dream, because my mom would never, fucking never, never take a bath with my dad's piss. Never. That's how I know this is a dream. At least I think. I, I believed it was real for the longest time. But this is strange. Why would I dream about my dad's dick? Why would I dream about it being massive? I don't know. I probably saw it at some point when I was, like, a young, young boy. Like, pre-conscious. Like, one. And, uh, just, like, remembered it. Um. Uh. And that reminds me, like, I've had a number of other dreams, you know. Like, I remember when I was, I, this had to have been a dream. But when I was a young boy, I remember jumping off the top stairs in my house and just falling down all the way to the bottom. And we had like 30 steps, 25 to 30 steps. So it was like, you know, I was jumping down a solid 20 feet, right? <clears throat> but, you know, these steps were also, they were like 8 inches by 8 inches, 8 inches long by 8 inches deep. So like if I was jumping down 20 feet, then I was also jumping forward 20 feet. And again, I was a very young kid when I had this, whenever I have this memory. So I must have been dreaming because... If I'm jumping forward 20 feet, like, I gotta, and down, falling down 20 feet, I've gotta be some sort of, like, Olympic-level athlete. Because I only had probably 9 to 10 feet tops of running, like, wind up. So as a young boy, you're not gonna be able to jump 20 feet forward. Anyway, I'm falling down, I'm falling down, I'm halfway, and in this memory, my dad... He puts down his n n newspaper, and he looks over at me, and his dad instincts kick in, and he runs over, and he fucking catches me. Now, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a child of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was, like, a year and a half, like, the day my brother came home from the infirmary. My brother is 18 months younger than me, or, like, 17 months younger than me. Really, I think about 16, but... Uh, no, 17 months younger than me. And I, I, he never lived in the house. Like, I never lived with my dad, and I only ever saw him a handful of times after I was one, two years old. I, probably like a dozen times. A dozen to two dozen times tops. Probably about two dozen times. So I guess we'll just say, we'll round it up to 30. I've seen my dad about 30 times in my conscious waking life. So I... I don't know how I could have a memory like that without it being a dream. Either of those things being dreams. Um, uh, it was very weird. Very strange. Very strange. Anyway, so that's that story. Uh, that's that like very, very intimate and personal slice of my life that the few of you who listen to these gets to see, gets to know about. Uh, the next story I want to share, I guess, it's, I was eight years old. So, eight years old, my brother, he's probably six. He probably, he may have just turned seven. I think he's almost, he's almost seven turning six. Like, around May. My brother was born in July, and I was born in December, so I'm like, I'm eight. I had been eight for about five months. My brother is, like, two or three months from turning seven. Uh, <clears throat> and my mom is a real estate agent, among other things. One day, out there in s south, southern Oklahoma, maybe a little west, there is this really nice house for sale. And this house, it's it's a big house, right? Big two-story house with, like, f six bedrooms, four baths. Um, it's there, in front, and behind it is just a hill, a big hill, with a bunch of forestry, and then in front of it is a huge open lot of a bunch of cement. Just a huge open parking lot, like I'm in a Walmart parking lot, right? Uh, the parking is in the back, and then there are a bunch of people up close towards the house, like 
like thousand like a thousand people or like maybe four to four hundred to a thousand people up there so my mom gets there she drives us there and she's like all right kids i'm gonna leave the car running i'm gonna lock the door uh gonna keep the air conditioning on so you guys just stay put i'll be right back i'm like mommy mommy i have to use the bathroom and she's like oh we'll just use this gas station cup this quick trip cup she gives me this clear 32 ounce cup uh plenty of room in it to use the bathroom in a car right i had done this a thousand times before i had peed a thousand times before or so she thought so she goes and i'm like well all right i've never done this before i pull down my pants and in the front seat of this car my brother's in the back seat in perfect in perfect eye shot i take probably the biggest shit of my childhood right there in that car I'm talking, this is a stinker. It's like, it's a solid, fibrous turd. So it's like a big fucking log, a hunk of log that you'd be surprised squeezed out of an eight-year-old's butthole. But it miraculously did. And it fills this fucking thing. And then I start splattering, shooting out just like shards of just splattered shit. Like little liquid shits that had been clogged by the massive turd. Like I, I, I cleared my pipe so much that loose shit in there also just kind of fell out. And, uh, and it, and, and like, I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, I'm not done. I gotta keep shitting. And I filled this thing up. My brother, by the way, my poor brother, my poor six year old brother is in the back seat. I'm in the passenger side front seat. He's in the driver's side back seat, right? He gets to see all of it. As soon as. I pull down my pants, unbuckle my pants and pull them down. He's like, uh, John, what are you doing? I'm like, I gotta use the cup. I shit in this thing and he sees my huge shit fill this clear plastic cup. He's like, oh my God, that's disgusting. What are you doing? I'm like, Daniel, Daniel, help, help. Give me your cup. Daniel, give me your cup. I'm not done. I filled this fucker up, right? He gives me his cup and it's like, it's like 20 ounces, right? It's not as big. And... I do finish, I do finish filling up the second cup full of my shit, uh, and, um, and then I'm like, ugh, ugh, give me napkins, he gives me all the napkins, he's like, covering his nose, looking away, um, he doesn't know that he can unlock the car door from the inside, so he's kind of stuck in there, he's like, the doors are locked, I can't get out, oh my god, oh my god, uh, like he's in a gas chamber or something, which, <laughs> gas chamber, yeah, uh, so, he hands me all these napkins. I, I swear to God, I, I had to have gone through 15 fucking napkins. And I just stuff them on top of the shit. And miraculously, no shit got anywhere in the car. I was a good kid. I was a good kid. I learned how to aim my butthole properly. I learned how to cup the cup around my cheeks. So I filled up these cups, and then I wipe, wipe my asshole down. Just like... Uh, just like... Non-stop. Just fucking... Yeah, uh, and it, I'm just, like, so shocked that every napkin I'm completely wiping my shit on is just, it's not even done. I, I get the next one, it's not even done. And I keep going until I make sure it's dry, and I get the last one, you know, a little bit of the butthole sweat, maybe some dingleberries, but no shit streaks anymore. And I'm like, thank fucking God, I got the last bit of shit off my asshole. Um, I put all the napkins in the cups, they're fucking filled up, right filled the fuck up and i put the lids on and we had hand sanitizer there's no shit on my hands there's no shit in the car not even any shit on the outside of the cups it just stinks <laughs> and we're sitting there in our shitty car and it's stinking um we sit there for 10 minutes and i've got these shit cups in the in the cup holders between the passenger seat and the driver's seat lids on I'm sitting there, I've washed my hands with the hand sanitizer, I'm sitting there like a good boy, legs dangling, you know, off the seat, not touching the floor, I'm kicking them, I'm kicking them, you know, one after the other, I've got my hands, like, just crossed right there in my lap, you know, just, I don't know, I've got my fucking, I've got my fucking, uh, rainbow cap with the propeller on and my lollipop or some shit, I don't know, anyway, so, my mom gets back, I'm like, all right, mom, what do I do with it? She opens the door and she's like, what the fuck? I was like, you told me to use the bathroom. And I was like, John, she goes, John, you should have told me you had to poop. I would have taken you to a gas station. And I, I panic. 
I panic, and I'm like, uh, 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 and I, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and she's like, yeah, it's gross, ew, and I open up my door, and I just fucking, I grab these things, and I throw them out, I throw them out, and they splatter on this pavement, just like two quick trip cups, quick trip is the gas station that we go to out here in Oklahoma, they splatter, these two quick trip cups just splatter all over the pavement, and none of it gets in the car, none of it gets on the car either, but, um, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, she's like, don't throw them, but there were no trash cans around, so I really kind of did the best thing, people are looking, by the way, they're like, is that shit, what the fuck, my mom's like, close the door, put on your seatbelt, she closes the door, and while I'm putting on my seatbelt, she peels out of this driver, this parking lot, she gets the fuck out of there, gets the fuck out of Dodge, right? And we end up leaving... <clears throat> we end up leaving these shitty splattered cups all over the fucking driveway out there. Uh, we had to roll down the windows. She immediately took me to a gas station. She's like, wash your hands. I was like, no, I had hand sanitizer. She's like, that's, all, that's not good enough. Wash your hands. <sighs> good times, man. Good times. Um, all right. So another story I got for you. I've, uh, I got lost in Paris. I was 16 years old, sophomore year of high school. It was right before spring break, so I had just turned 16. And I, no, wait, did I just turn 16? No, I had just turned 15. I had just turned 15. I know it was in sophomore year. Because I had just started smoking weed. And I smoked weed a few times when I was 15. Um, just to try it out. No, no, no. I was 16. I was 16. I didn't smoke when I was 15. I was 16 when I first started smoking weed. Yeah. Yeah, I turned 15 in freshman year and 16 in sophomore year. Then 17 in junior year and then 18 in senior year. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. Sorry about that. So I had just turned 16. I was like, I didn't smoke weed when I was 15. I was 16 when I smoked weed. I tried it. I was experimenting. You know, whatever. So, I, um, I was in French. I had been taking French since 7th grade. I was somewhat, you know, conversational. And the week before spring break, my cousin, uh, she was like in her 30s at the time. Or maybe late 20s, I can't really tell you. Uh, and her husband were in Paris and they called my mom and they're like, Hey, Heidi, uh, you should send John out to Paris with us because he's learning French and it'd be a good opportunity for him. God damn. This is so fucking stupid. Um, so the week before spring break, I end up going out there. My mom doesn't want me to have a cell phone though. She doesn't want me to have a cell phone because she doesn't want to have to pay international call fees or any of that. And she's like, we'll get you a cell phone when you come back. Uh, I was like, all right, I guess. So my cousin and her husband give me explicit instructions to go to what's called the big board of arrivals and departures whenever I land in the Parisian airport. They had described it as being this huge board of arrivals and departures that you can't miss. And I think I inflated it. Um, because, to me, a huge board is like 30 feet tall by 20 feet wide. So I'm looking... So, you know, I, I fly out to Paris, uh, land out there, and I'm, go, I'm at the Parisian airport. It's probably like 9 in the morning, Parisian time, Paris time. Uh, and I'm looking for this 30 foot by 20 foot electronic board of arrivals and departures, and I can't see it. I remember the Parisian airport's got to have like three or four stories, and it's built up like a cylinder, right? And it's got like elevators going between each floor. I had gone through this airport, and I was looking for it. I had to have been walking around there for an hour and a half, just like trying to find it. I, I go through, I go around every single floor, I circle around every single floor, I go on every single elevator from every point to every other point, and I don't find it. There's a shuttle that takes you to a metro station, and I'm like, maybe this shuttle takes me, I didn't know that it takes you to a metro station, I just knew that it took you to another part of the airport. So I'm thinking to myself, maybe the shuttle takes me to the part of the airport where the huge board of arrivals and departures is. So I take the shuttle over to that side of the airport. 
and I don't know this, but I'm at a metro station. And I'm looking for it, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's actually back at the airport. So I take the shuttle back to the airport, and I walk around some more for, like, another 20 to 30 minutes. I don't, It's not there. I take the shuttle back to the metro station. It's not there again. And back to the airport. At this point, I'm thinking I'm psychotic. And I'm like, all right, well, I've been at this airport now for two hours. I've been here for a fucking long time. I'm not seeing anybody. I'm not seeing any, 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 uh, board of arrivals and departures so i take the shuttle back one last time i've gone back and forth between the shuttle station and the airport like four or five times by the way so like i have been thorough in my search for this thing that i can't find and i don't have a cell phone so i can't call anybody i go i'm thinking to myself all right there's no board of arrivals and departures anywhere around here Clearly, there's another shuttle. So I take the shuttle to the metro station, but I don't know it's a metro station, right? And I see the metro. I had never been in a big metropolitan city before. I'm from a, I'm from a medium-sized town, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it doesn't have public transport, which is a, it's, it's, it's an infrastructural failing on America's part, by the way. We need to get a high-speed railway system uh, in America, and the only reason we don't is because I think American Airlines or United Airlines lobbies against it, like billions of dollars a year just to make sure that their profits aren't like chipped, which uh, <laughs> uh, I would say that whatever profits they lose would be equal to whatever money they spend on the lobbying is my guess. That's that's beside the point. Some people are stupid as shit and they don't want to they, they want to sacrifice their industry on their own terms instead of on the terms of just natural public tra change. That's a tangent. So I have a credit card. My mom, let she didn't let me have a phone, but she let me have a credit card. I was actually fairly responsible with the credit card. I only ever used it for gas and fast food. So I was fairly, you know, good with it. I uh, stand in line. It's an American Express. I stand in line, and with broken French, I'm like, one ticket, please, un ticket, s'il vous plaît, uh, and use the American Express. It goes through. I didn't have any French currency, but the American Express went through, so I got it. Gave me a little fucking ticket, a blue ticket, looks like a carnival ticket. And I take it down, and I swipe it through. This ticket lasts for a full day. It's a day pass for the metro, right? I didn't know that. She told me it's a day pass for the metro, but I didn't speak French as well as I thought, or as well as I should have been able to. So I'm out here all alone, and I take this ticket, and as soon as I get into the metro system, I throw that bitch away. I just toss it. I'm like, all right, it was good for one use. And then I get on the metro, I get on the subway, and I've got all my luggage on me, by the way. I remember to this day what I was wearing. I was wearing a white American Eagle short sleeve shirt, and then a gray American Eagle zip-up hoodie, and I was wearing tight jeans, like skinny jeans, American Eagle skinny jeans, and uh, I was wearing white tube socks, Nike tube socks, because those were really cool when I was 16, back in 2012, and uh, some s shoes called Sunooks, S-A-N-U-K-S, right? They were just black slip-on shoes with white soles. I've got my, uh, I've got my Ray-Bans on, but they're not like Wayfair Ray-Bans, they're the kind of Ray-Bans that look like Oakley's. And I've got braces. My hair was long. And I've got my backpack and a big-ass suitcase. Um, but the suitcase doesn't roll. It was like a it was like a, a, shoulder, a shoulder strap suitcase. A big shoulder strap suitcase with a week's worth of clothes. And I had to... And, and then, like, books and, like, uh other shit in it that had to have all together weighed about 60 pounds like my backpack with my clothes towels and all that stuff my big bookcase that had all my more clothes and towels and some toiletries and all that all of it weighed about 60 pounds altogether and it doesn't roll so i'm carrying the shit on my back i sit down on the metro station and i'm and i'm thinking to myself okay this is gonna take me to the board of arrivals and departures where i can meet them where I can meet my cousin and her husband. Yeah. And and uh, I'm sitting there. And I'm sitting there. I'm looking at it. And I see the Parisian city. I see the Eiffel Tower. I see the Seine River. I see the Louvre. I see the Notre Dame. You know. 
And I'm like, yeah, this is going to take me where I need to go. <laughs> yeah. Never been on a subway in my life, by the way. Yeah. Uh, 30 minutes later, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a countryside. I'm seeing farms. Um, I'm seeing cows, cattle, you know, I'm, I'm seeing uh, massive tractors and shit. And uh, in the distance, I see Paris and the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and in my head, I think, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. Oh, this is bad. I got on the subway. <laughs> I got on the subway system. I got on the interrail, the monorail, or whatever it would be called. Oh, no. And I'm just, like, having this, like... I'm having this harrowing moment. I'm sitting on this subway. I have this harrowing moment. And I think to myself, if I stay on it, it's just going to take me back to Paris. That's what happens, right? So I'm on there for literally another hour. So I'm an hour and a half. And, like, I'm getting tunnel vision. The world is going dark around me. And it's and it's slowly just becoming me staring down at the floor thinking, I'm fucking dead. I'm dead. Oh, my God. What have I done? Uh, and... I, I'm like, this isn't taking me back to Paris. An hour and a half into this ride, I'm not going back to Paris. I have to get off of this fucking train. So I get off in this train, right? And I remember this, st this station, the metro station I was at, right? So I get off basically on the right side, but the town, I, I'm at a small town, and the town is on the left side. So I have to take these stairs underneath the actual railway railway that'll take you that takes me into this small town. Now, before I talk about going under the stairs, I want to talk about what this railway station looked like. It looked like about 300 feet long, and it had an it had like an awning over it, um, just to stop rain with benches underneath, right? As far as the eye could see, was just countryside. Like I'm saying, like. Like, in the direction of where the train track goes, just countryside that way. Behind the awning, just countryside. And then where I came from, just countryside. The only thing I can see where there's anything at all is this small podunk town, right? It's a town... It makes me feel like I'm in, like, uh, Diagon Alley from Harry Potter, right? You remember in... Uh, I think it's in the second one, the second Harry Potter movie. He goes, Diagon Alley! And he ends up in... Diagon Alley instead of wherever he was supposed to go. Uh, I go down the stairs under the railway, and I'm in this town, right? The, 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 here's, here's what it looks like. The ground is brick. It's gray brick. Uneven brick. I see a fucking horse pulling a carriage, and it sounds like the typical horse, the clop, 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 and the carriage is, is just, like, kind of, like, uh, bouncing around on the uneven gray bricks. It was foggy. Um, by now, it's about noon. And there are, it's just, like, I'm in this open plaza area, and I see, like, racks of clothes, and I see some small businesses, and I'm, like, walking around, uh, tu parles anglais, tu parles anglais, do you speak English, do you speak English? They're like, no, 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 that no one wants to talk to me, right? All of these random small town fellows that are wearing their trench coats and their, uh, fedoras or some shit. They're, they, they all, all of these people look like Sherlock Holmes. They look like some multiverse version of Sherlock Holmes. I, I feel like I went to purgatory in this moment. I feel like I died and went to purgatory. So I'm like, well, I'm here for like 30 minutes. I, I remember I have this moment. I'm overheating, so I take off my jacket. I take off all my, you know, my bags, and I take off my jacket, and I tie it around my waist. And uh, I've got my, you know, my graphic tee on, my white graphic tee on, because I'm so fucking cool, and my Oakley Ray-Ban shades, Oakley-style Ray-Ban shades. And I'm sitting on this bench, and I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I have the idea. I was like, ah! I'm going to get back on the metro, going back in the other direction, until I end up in Paris. And as soon as I know I'm in Paris, I'm going to get off and just find my way back to the airport. That was my plan. I was like, I'm just going to go back until I find my way to the airport. So I walk around and I talk to... Uh, I talk to uh, this random lady. She's, uh, she's working at a food stop in the 
entrance back into the metro system. And this is where it's important that I threw away my day pass as soon as I got into it because I couldn't get back in. I couldn't get back in. So I talked to this lady and, uh, uh, merci, uh, um, uh, je suis perdu, uh, metro, metro, right? Uh, hello, I'm lost, metro. She gets the idea and she uses her year-long pass, which looks like this cool heart monitor, I guess you could say. Uh, or no, it looks like um, an electronic waiter beeper thing. You know how if you go to a, a restaurant, they'll give you this like m like plastic and metal square that's that buzzes and flashes red whenever your food's ready. She gives she she has one of those, but it's blue, and she just swipes me in, lets me in. Merci, merci, merci beaucoup. And I get I wait I get back on the metro, and uh, I go back. And another an hour and a half, so we're so we're close to about three o'clock now, two o'clock, right? Where it's about two o'clock, uh, Paris time. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna just get off at the airport, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to just wait there, see if I can call somebody, and and see if I can call my mom, because I know my mom's phone number. So, uh, get there. I uh, get to Paris, but. I'm unsure which stop is the airport, so I'm like, all right, I don't want to, I don't want to overshoot this because I don't know if I'll be able to get back on a third time. I need to just get off here. So I got off at Luxembourg Station, and I think it was like really close to Notre Dame, um, and I step out, I step out of Luxembourg Station. I'm back in Paris. All right. Mission accomplished. So objective complete. Back in Paris. Then I try to I, I try to talk to people. Uh, tu parles anglais. Tu parles anglais. Uh, I talk to like some random people. No one there. I talk to this police officer. She doesn't speak English. I go into a bakery and the guy in there doesn't speak English. So I'm like just shit out of luck, right? 30 minutes, 45 minutes of doing this, I'm shit out of luck, and I sit down on a bench and I look up. And I see the Eiffel Tower, and something clicks. I got an idea. I'm going to the Eiffel Tower. So, by now, you know, it's probably about 3.30, close to 4, somewhere in there. And I start trekking towards the Eiffel Tower. And I'm like, that's like two blocks away. That's right there. I had never seen the Eiffel Tower, so I don't realize that it's three miles away. This thing is fucking massive. This thing is huge, right? Uh, and I keep walking, and I keep walking. I walk along the Seine River, and this had to have been the most magical moment of my life. Well, one of the more magical times of my life, because I'm a 16-year-old kid backpacking through the streets of Paris during a bustling time in spring. The weather's nice. It had to have been, like, 50 or 60 degrees, which to me was cold, but uh, it, apparently it was really fucking freezing the week before. So it was a very nice day. It was the first nice day of the week, of this of the year, and I uh, I get to see all sorts of things. I see a mime. I see street artists just like drawing people, uh, playing music. I see people selling f like fresh food, a fresh food market. I walk past that. All along the Seine River, I see the Louvre. I see that glass pyramid on the Louvre. Um, I see the Locket Bridge. And these are all things that I'm going to revisit in later on in the week, right? Uh, I'm totally innocent. I was just scared. A bit, maybe I, I made a bit of a dingus move to do this, but also I covered my ass and I got myself back by thinking think, thinking quickly on my feet. So that's got to be worth something. Uh, and, you know, I'm not even kidding when I say like an hour goes by and I'm and it's in the fucking Eiffel Tower still looks like it's two blocks away. An hour and a half goes by. It's like five o'clock at this point. The Eiffel Tower looks like it's a block away, two blocks away, and I'm only halfway there. I walk for another, I pick up the pace, and I walk for another 45 minutes. Now, ever since I got off of the station to the point where I got 
to the Eiffel Tower. I'm taking my jacket on and off. I'm taking my clothes on and I'm taking my backpacks and my, my suitcase on and off because it's so heavy and, I, and, it, and I'm getting hot and then I'm getting cold. Uh, so I have to put it on and take it off. So I'm taking all these breaks to like rest, right? Because I'm carrying all this weight on my back and I'm getting cold and I'm getting hot, switching clothes. Uh, eventually I get there. I get there at like six o'clock in the evening, right? I've been in Paris for about about ten hours, about nine or ten hours. I've been in Paris. I landed at nine a.m., ten a.m., somewhere in there. So anywhere I've been in the I've been in Paris for anywhere between eight to ten hours, and I'm like the reason I th what the reason I wanted to go to the Eiffel Tower. I saw it and I was like, everyone's there. I'm going to find a person who speaks English there. And I get there, and I'm, I'm just looking around the crowd, looking around the crowd, looking at everybody, uh, and I spot people that speak English. I walk up to them, and they're from Boston. I'm like, hey, guys, guys, y y English, American? They're like, yeah, we're American. I was like, thank Christ. Yes, thank fucking God. Listen, I'm lost. I landed here today, and it's been a whole fucking situation. I am lost. And I just, can I, I'm so sorry, I need to make a phone call back home to tell my mom I'm okay. Can I make a long distance phone call with your phone? I don't have a phone. And they're like, yeah, yeah, take our phone. And I stand there, I step away about 10 feet away, and I call my mom. And I'm like, and she's like, hello? Random number. I'm like, mom? And she's like, John? Oh. <laughs> she faints on the phone. She was at my neighbor Viv's house. She faints on the phone. And she, I hear the thud. Viv picks up the phone, she's like, John? I was like, yeah, hey, Viv, it's John, uh, I'm safe, I'm good, I'm at the Eiffel Tower. She's like, oh, thank God, we thought you were taken. <laughs> By the way, the movie Taken with Liam Neeson had just come out that year, or like within a year before that, so that shit's fresh on their mind. They're like, she's like, we thought that you were abducted by sex traffickers, John, thank God. I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I got lost and I found my way back. Uh, and she's like, oh, okay. My mom, she like comes back to consciousness. She's like, John, is it really you? I'm like, yeah, mom, it's safe. No one's touched me. Uh, she's like, hold on. So she calls, <laughs> she calls the U.S. Embassy. This woman calls the U.S. Embassy. No, no, she doesn't. No, no, she doesn't call the U.S. Embassy. She calls my cousin. She calls my cousin. She's with her husband. But the moment she called them, they were stepping into the U.S. Embassy. And um, at the moment that they walked into the U.S. Embassy, when she's calling my cousin... No, hold on. Fuck. I, I, miss I mixed this part up. Okay. So she's like, hold on. I need to call Aunt Helen. I need to call your aunt, my sister. So she calls her sister. And then my mom calls the U.S. Embassy at the same time that my, that my aunt calls my cousin this is it all right so my aunt calls my cousin who's there with her husband and my mom calls the u.s embassy and the moment that they both call each other is the exact moment that my cousin and her husband walk into the u.s embassy so she walks into the so my so imagine this from my cousin's perspective she's like walk into the u.s embassy oh my god my cousin's lost we don't know where he is we can't get a hold of him we have no idea what's going on um and in that moment they're like is your cousin's name John Gill? And she's like, yes. And then uh, the person at the U.S. Embassy desk basically hands my cousin the phone and says, we have his mom on the phone right now. And then she's on the phone with her mom, my aunt. She's like, mom, I got to hang up. They found him. Like immediately they found me. So she hangs up and... Uh, they're like, yeah, he's at the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower is right across the river. It it is one block away from the uh, U.S. Embassy. So they end up they end up being a block away. I walked my happy ass not only to a tourist attraction where I could find an American person to reach home, but I also walked my happy. But it's also right at the U.S. Embassy. So I'm sitting there and I've got my shades on. I've got my jacket on. And I'm just like chilling on the bench, legs spread, leaning forward. Fingers interlocked, just like 
Oh, I've done it now. <laughs> I'm like, oh god, I've done it now. If for those of you that don't know, growing up I had a knack for getting lost, for wandering off. Like, anytime I would go to Toys R Us, or Walmart, or even Home Fucking Depot, I would just walk away from my mom because that shit was boring and I wanted to look at the toys. Uh, so, oh man. My cousin was pissed. She was like, you used us. You're, you're, you did this for a joyride. We're gonna send you back. You ruined the trip. Like, it's been so fucking cold out here all fucking week. And, and now it's the first nice fucking day and you have to ruin the fucking trip. You fucking fuck up, you. Fuck you. And I'm like, it was an accident. It was an honest mistake. She's like, don't fucking lie to me, you lying piece of shit. You did this on purpose. Fuck you, dude. God, fuck that, dude. Oh, my God. Um, she was so fucking mad at me for, like, four days. For, like, four of the seven days. The first, Okay, the fourth day, she wasn't as mad. But for the first three days, dude, she was so fucking immature about this. She wouldn't listen to me. She wouldn't believe me. She gave me the cold shoulder the whole time. She said that I ruined the trip. She fucking acted like I'm such a fucking waste of flesh, like a fucking loser, a fuck-up. Uh, and, you know, her husband, Mike, he's a nice guy, he, he was mad that I pissed her off, because he's sitting there, and he's, like, in his head, you know, I can see, he's like, god damn it, this guy, he made my wife mad, god fucking damn it, ah, it was so nice, and now he had to tick her off, I think that somewhere in his mind, he was, like, ready to listen to me, and I was like, I, I was freaking out, I'm sorry, Apparently what happened is that they were stuck in traffic. They were they were on a cab ride there. They were stuck in traffic and they got there. They got there. Uh, I left at around 11. So I was going back and forth back at the airport whenever I landed at 9, maybe 10. Uh, I was walking around for two hours. They had gotten there. I remember that they got there 15 minutes after I got my te my pass. Basically, like they were stuck in traffic for a long time. Um, and... Uh, my, my, dude, my whole family, like, everybody in my family, except for my brother and my cousin, my male, co my cousin, my, my other cousin, so I have three cousins, by the way, um, that's the oldest one, the one that fucking hated me, and the one that still insists to this day that I did it on purpose, because she's too proud to let me define my own life, I guess, but, um, she... Uh, she was mad at me, but she has two younger siblings, half-siblings. Um, those two siblings, they're on my side. My uncle was on my side. My aunt, she was like, nah, fuck this kid. Let's let's remove him from the family. He ruined our lives. He, like, scared us shitless because I made a mistake as a 16-year-old kid in a country on my own for the first fucking time in my life. Oh, my God, so what? Um... My mom, she was like, was it really on purpose, John? Was it really an accident? I was like, no, it was an accident. They didn't show up in time. And sure, it wasn't their fault, but I freaked out. I'm a 16-year-old kid. These people are treating me like I'm a 30-year-old man who had stolen a car for a fucking joyride. They treated me like I was twice my age. It was ridiculous. All because they got scared. They didn't care that I was safe. They just wanted to demonize me. That's the family I come from, folks, by the way. Yeah, a dad that abandoned me when I was a year and a half. Probably because my family is fucking nuts. And then a family that treats a 16-year-old like a 30-year-old when he makes an honest mistake. And then has the fucking... Has the fucking brains to solve it himself. I solved that shit myself. Like, and they want to treat me like I'm such a fucking crazy person. That's so... I'm still mad about that. But my brother was on my side. My mom was half on my side. My uncle was on my side. A little bit. Like, he was pissed off because his wife was pissed off. But he was like, oh, okay, I guess we can forgive this. He's just a kid. And then my two younger cousins were also like, yeah, I think it was just, uh... Like, I think... Like, I know John. John wouldn't do this. John is not a joyride kind of guy. If John wanted to run away, he would have. Like, they for some reason thought that I was trying to run away, that I treated this as, like, my one free op, my one chance to, like, get out scot-free. I guess because France doesn't extradite back to Oklahoma, back to America. And thinking about it, I really should have. I really should have run away because my life was shitty. Um, my life was extremely shitty in Oklahoma, and I, uh, I would have been better off alone in France. I kind of, to this day, I kind of do wish that I would have ran away, but... Whatever. I'm making my own way, and I think I'll move to France uh, when I'm, like, I don't know, 30.
33, 34, when I have a PhD or at least a master's degree. And that's beside the point. Um, yeah, we ended up having fun, you know, um, she, my cousin, my cousin and her husband slowly, like, forgave me, like, slightly as time went on, a uh, little bit, and things died down, things got better, and I did end up, I became more of a man after that, I stood up, I started standing up for myself, and I fucking yelled at my mom, my aunt, my cousin, I was like, fuck you guys, like, for all sorts of things, for, like, trying to shove their uh, dogma down my throat, trying to make me think a certain way, I was like, I'm my own fucking man, you aren't going to tell me how to think or what to believe, I'm going to fi figure this shit out for myself, and I even went into, like, a religious youth and revolt era, where I was like, I think I believe in Hinduism, Honestly, it was kind of just to piss them off, um, but it felt really good digging the knife in uh, after that because they 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 did me dirty emotionally speaking growing up. They really did. So I guess that's like uh, all of the stories I've got. I'm at an hour now. I oh uh, one last story. Um, I have a tattoo. The only tattoo I ever got, which I'm going to get more. Oh, I'm getting more. I've got like four in mind, but. The only tattoo I ever got was a stick and poke on my ass. It's this little tramp stamp, right? When I was 22, um, I was fr I, I was part of a friend group in college. And uh, one of them actually just reached out to me because he saw me on TikTok. Thanks, Max. Love you, buddy. You're a great guy. One of the best, best friends I've ever had. I hope that we never lose touch again. Sorry again. That was my fault. I kind of went through a weird darkness period of alone of loneliness just trying to f find my own self. Um, anyway, so, I, uh, I freaking was, um, we were, we were all just a group of friends, like, ten of us, right? And we loved to party, we loved to have fun, um, we did, we did video projects together, there's a video on YouTube that I'm a, that I'm the, uh, that, uh, that I did with one of them, his with Max, right? Um, it's the videos on the YouTube channel called Silver Hammer. It's called Johnny Renegade, an 80s action story. I played the villain, and I actually wasn't even supposed to play the villain. Um, Max hit me up. He was like, John, you got acting experience. Today's the day we have to start shooting, and my villain, he bounced. Can you cover for him? Last minute. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I ended up being a very strong villain. Uh... People are saying, people have said all over the place that Raptor Fist is the name of the villain, by the way. They're saying, like, oh, he made the show, he's such a good actor, like, he's so menacing, he's so sinister, like, he definitely added a melodramatic effect that this video needed. I'm going to link it in my profile here after I do this because I want to advertise that. It's a great video. Um, so check out the link in my bio by the time you're listening to this. Uh, you'll see Johnny Renegade. Just go ahead and watch that. It's a fucking good-ass video. Uh, I am Raptor Fist, the bad guy. You'll probably be able to tell as soon as you watch it, though. So, um, we all got stick-and-poke tattoos uh, of LD. So, I have a tramp stamp on my ass that says LD on it. Little dick? Long dick? No. Ladine. L-A space <coughs> D-E-A-N. Ladine. That's the name of the street that they lived on, and it's like um, it's like a marker, you know, it's like a a, a prod, a, a brand. So we're all branded LD uh, on our ass like cattle, uh, and we'll be sole siblings for the rest of our lives. Um, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. I. I love it. I'm happy every day I see it. And <clears throat> I was drunk as shit when I got it. We were all drunk as shit when we got it. And uh, I don't know if any one of us regret it to this day. So that's those are my stories. This is a nice slice of life into my life. A nice little, you know, view into my life. I hope you all enjoyed this. I definitely enjoyed recording it. And, um... You know, starting from here on out, this is the, the, this is, these four episodes that I've uploaded were the episodes that I thought of, I wanted, that I thought of uploading before I actually 
you know, really started this. So from here on out, it's going to be more novel ideas. It's going to be research-based. You know, I have a TikTok series about ADHD, so I think I'm just going to do an official, like, uh, deep dive into ADHD, the neurobiology of it, the genetics of it, the effects of it, uh, and how these days a lot of people say they're ADHD or, or autistic when they're not. Um, psychiatrists and therapists around the world or around America are like, you're not ADHD, you're not autistic to like so many people that want to go to them because everybody's on TikTok all the time. Uh, and I, I remember whenever I tried to report on that, when I tried to say like, hey, if you think you're ADHD, um, if you have thought that you're ADHD since about 2020, you probably aren't. You're probably just chronically online and you need to get outside and get off your phone. Uh, and dude, the people that come for me after that, that's ableist. Don't invalidate my experience. My life is for mine. Like, you don't know me. And it's like, all right. Yeah. Let's add you to the heap of people that really want to act special, act like you've got problems that are outside of your control. No, a lot of these things are probably your own responsibility and you just want to chalk them up to ADHD because you want to treat ADHD as a scapegoat for your shitty behavior. Uh, no. People with actual ADHD, they, like, they'll put one shoe on and then go, like, search for their keys that they lost without even remembering to put the other shoe on. They'll be, like, halfway through combing their hair whenever they go do something else, get distracted and do something else. So, that's, uh, we'll talk about that next time. I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, stay tuned. I love you all. Thank you for listening. And if you get here, then you're lovely. Bye.